UX Podcast Episode 241. Hello everybody, welcome to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Royal Lawson and Pat Axbom. We've listeners in 194 countries, from Jersey to Georgia. And I'll have you know that uh, James is not talking about any American states. Today we are we, bringing well, you... Well, I mean, I mean, hold on. But we, they, we, do, oh, have we do have listeners in those states well. too. And I do mention countries. I say 194 countries. Oh, you're, you're right, you're right. But I think, last time I checked, I think we did have listeners in every single state in America. Well, I, I would suppose we do, yeah. <laughs> oh. Today, we are bringing you a link show discussing two articles we've recently stumbled upon. And they are actually quite recent we've stumbled upon them. Yeah. So, and both of today's articles are from people, or written by people, who have been guests on UX Podcast previously. And first out is an article from July 3rd by tech policy and regulation specialist Heather Burns. It's about the lack of uh, common ground or, or even common knowledge amongst web professionals. Second article from the 30th of June is by responsive design legend Ethan McCott. He addresses the expectation that design systems improve collaboration between designers and engineers and how this has turned out in reality. So moving into the first article, uh, which Heather has titled, Check Your Privacy Privilege. Uh, it's, you might say it's actually directed more towards legal professionals, people who advocate for privacy online coming from, an, from a legal profession. Uh, but I have to say, it's, 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 it's a blog post where I felt the need sitting by myself to almost stand up and give it a, give it a standing ovation. Uh, I was that taken by it. Uh, and I have to start off actually by by reading the first two paragraphs where where, where Heather is quoting herself uh, something she wrote uh, a year ago uh, that actually triggered her to write this article now uh, after she did a talk last year. Other professionals assume web development is an organized profession with a defined career path like theirs. It is very very difficult for highly intelligent people working in law and academia, for whom their careers meant three or four years at a university, a year or two at graduate, graduate school, a full-time position in a professionally structured company, and a clear path of career development to understand that web development has none of that. They assume we learned certain things in certain places at certain times. They assume we receive certain things in the workplace. They assume we have a workplace. They assume we receive refreshers. CPD. I had to look up CPD. It's continuing professional development. Ah, I was going to uh, ask. Yeah. Or ongoing training. They assume we are fed regular knowledge by a professional body. To professionals like those, the reality of being a web development practitioner with no training, guidance, or support is incomprehensible. And I think that actually sums up the whole blog post, even though she goes into much more detail about what things mistake, people mistakenly think about what web professionals are taught, how they are taught it, uh, if they even go to school or not. Uh, so there's so much to unpack in this, really. But the, why it, it, it spoke to me so much is because this 
applies to so many topics within the web mm. community. Yeah, uh, and I think it, it it really gets to the core of why we keep arguing about what is our responsibility, what is a UX designer, who does what. Uh, it's because we don't have this set of defined skills that everybody is supposed to have, and the expectations from others is, of course, when you sort of when you're an employer, you're looking for your UX designer as well. Of course, you have the expectations that they at least fit some set of core competencies uh, that you're looking for, but you don't know what to look for always. And then you come with all these people to expect these uh, these people to also have some sort of uh, accessibility, uh, knowledge, knowledge about privacy, knowledge about ethics, and they just don't because it hasn't been part of the curriculum or they haven't even gone to school. Hmm. I, I mean, uh, it was also bit of an eye-opener for me i mean the the whole thing about we know that our industry doesn't have that kind of structure we've discussed this mm. numerous times about yeah. how we lack those kind of professional bodies the kind of agreement about what the hell ux is and kind of the the standard elements of you know you know the education we have and back in our day pair you know you didn't you didn't do what we do now um you know what didn't exist so we can't be educated in what it was we haven't had refreshers what well, our careers are our refreshers but what what really kind of made me go oh my god yeah is i hadn't really i hadn't really considered um those individuals those professionals in those i mean of course we've worked with people lawyers and and um um you know oh, it could be hr or it could be um other departments maybe they have to sign off on certain things um or agree on certain things before we we do things but um i hadn't really thought about how it looks from their perspective which in some ways makes me feel stupid as a, as a, as a UXer or, you know, do the work I do that I didn't consider it. But when that, that paragraph, just that paragraph you read from Heather um, did make me think about, yeah, God, I mean, the friends I know who are lawyers of various different flavors. I mean, yeah, they, they go through huge amounts of education. There is a kind of truth. There is a, there is a source of knowledge for their occupation. And like, if you're mm. a tax lawyer, um, there are, there are, books with the tax guidelines for every country usually or there's some kind of documentation mm. for every country this is the current tax law you can go there and you can argue about it there are places you can go to argue what it means and then a decision's made about what it really means or it's taken up as a high instance these processes for evaluating and arguing about what things mean it's also incredibly yeah. structured and definite and you know what we sit in is constant ever-changing blob of things which even the things that inside are in our realm of things isn't stable and they change and more comes in things go out people who work with it come and go out and they said some people have no skills whatsoever and still do our jobs <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> some people have huge amount of skills mm. but don't do a very good job it, it's 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 incredibly. Um, I can understand how it would be um, incomprehensible, as Heather put it, to people who live and work and spent their entire careers in that world. Right, and I can also understand how it would would be frustrating for them, expecting people to understand what they're saying when they're uh, in this instance talking about privacy and trying to uh, help people understand how important it is to to think about these practices when they're coding, uh, whereas they're talking in a language probably. That is not at all uh, the language that speaks to the people they're, they're talking to. So it, 
in essence, now that I'm thinking of it, it she, she's really talking about, I mean, the lack of education perhaps is one part, but uh, but the people in our profession, the coders, uh, as, as she's talking about in this article, they're not getting the help they need because people are assuming things about them that aren't true. Hmm. So how do we get them the help they need? And then she goes on to, of course, describe how, how she's really struggling to, to put lots of time and effort and lots of free time and effort into to, to uh, being an advocate for this online. Uh, but also, uh, I think she's really appealing to, to the professionals, if we call them that, the other professionals. Privacy actually, professionals um, yeah. is, is the change phrase that she language, uses. Change their language, change how they approach, because obviously they have a goal they have a goal in mind when they are talking to the web industry, uh, but they need to understand the web industry better to be able to uh, reach their own goal when they're communicating with them. Mm. But it also makes me think, so what is our responsibility then as the web industry in listening to these people who <laughs> who don't understand where we're coming from? Mm. I think it's a good I point. Mean, Heather's doing something. She's informing them here. But I mean, how do we talk about this? It's sometimes it, fall, it feels almost like we're hiding parts of this because it feels like it's something to be ashamed of that we're so unstructured. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of bits here when she's written them. Um, um, I'm seeing academics um, wanting to give, um, give talks to developers on how they're not meeting legal compliance, to which Heather yeah. would respond, why do you assume that they know that they even meant to uh, what they're meant to be compliant with. Yeah. Who do you believe they receive that education from? And mm. I'm seeing privacy professionals saying we need to rethink how we train technologists, to which Heather would reply, why mm. do you assume that technologists have any training? Yes. So, so you know, the, the, the <laughs> point is the gap is, the gap isn't just a small gap where you, you need mm. to improve the training. We need to rethink how we do X. Mm. Uh, Heather's trying to make this point where, you know, we're, we're light years away from your world. We don't you know a lot of people just don't have any knowledge about privacy matters. Um, mm. And or I think you've mentioned accessibility. This is someone in one of the comments or one of the tweets about the article mm. brings up accessibility and that you could switch out privacy to accessibility. And it could be pretty much true. The same the same text could hold true. Exactly. And for ethics. I mean, yeah. And it's it's. It's it's eye-opening and it's frustrating for both parties because it's so hard to understand what you're supposed to do. And obviously what made Heather write the post as well is because she's, she's seeing that the people who are supposed to care about adapting their message for the web development community aren't doing that because they're not understanding the web development community. But at the same time, I feel a frustration with the fact that we are so... Uh, unstructured, that we are this disparate uh, group of people that can't define what we have, what we are working with. But of course, that's a testament to how how young our industry is, mm -hmm. because it's so changing so fast. Mm -hmm. But there are so many important aspects of web development that are just getting lost in translation. Mm. And privacy, I think, is a huge part of that because uh, what we're realizing now is that people are just not caring enough about, maybe they are caring about privacy, but they don't even know how to make sure that they're taking enough care for it. Mm. I mean, Heather, um, Heather has put a huge amount of effort um, and you know, personal um, 
or money, time, uh, bits of her, I guess, uh, yeah. her soul into into mm. privacy um, and the web. And the, the fact the second half of the article goes when he asks about you know what do you need to do, she lists a lot mm. of the stuff that she's gone through in the years she's been working with this, mm. um, and you know oh there isn't I don't think there is a simple answer reading her article I don't, I don't get it there isn't a simple kind of like TLDR <laughs> at the bottom of her article saying well we you know we, we can't just be re-educated instead you need to just do this um, mm. this is a long this is a this is a trek it's a long haul well it's, it's it's back to that really you need to gain trust if you're a privacy advocate you need to gain trust with the web development industry and that means immersing yourself really in, in with those people mm understanding them so it's uh, like anthropological research uh, contextual inquiry mm. it's it's really back to to ux but uh, it means that it's not the uxers who have to do the x it's actually it's so it's back to communication it's back yeah. to really wanting to understand the other person where are you coming from and to even uh, acknowledge your needs and to even acknowledge that uh, other people exist because <laughs> i mean <laughs> Well, no, in this kind of one, it's it's one of those yeah. it's one of those areas where you can miss this completely if you don't even have any understanding of what privacy means at all in the context of what mm. we do. Um, mm. And I think it was you listed, well, we listed a few things that could um, relate to this same topic. We said, um, well, not just privacy, but also accessibility, and you said ethics. Mm. Um, if we want to try and if if I'm going to try and give. Uh, a shortcut or at least a, some kind of stepping stone on the way to improving all this one of them is just to have at least those three points as checkpoints in everything you do yeah, have we point. considered privacy <laughs> have we considered mm. accessibility mm. have we considered the ethical impact mm. of this mm. i mean if you just run if you just mm. even do what i just did then <laughs> before every single feature you 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 set you mm. embark on then if nothing else, you're going to you're going to understand that you don't know what mm. you're supposed to be doing. Mm. Uh, and for me, that comes down to like doing a risk analysis. Is there anything that could go wrong yeah. here uh, that we haven't thought about? Yeah. Uh, is so, there any knowledge we're lacking to 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 release this? Yeah, and here we've got now three mm. three keywords that you can have um, on your risk assessment kind of mm. cheat sheet if you want to kind of yeah. um, highlight some of the areas where you almost certainly are at some risk of not um, of not doing stuff as well as you maybe would hope to do it. Hmm. And then it comes back, of course, because now we're talking about the individuals, uh, the professionals doing the work. Uh, but, I mean, it comes down to the organization and, and organizational change, the culture. Uh, is this even something we value? So I understand there's, I mean, there's a huge struggle because it doesn't matter if the web developers care enough if the organization doesn't care. But yeah, it does it does though, Pat. It does matter because mm. we are the ones and the developers working with us are the ones who are producing stuff. If we don't design something, if we if our developers and our teams don't code something, it doesn't exist. So That's true. So if we if we basically say, "Oh, hold on. This has privacy issues." or we don't feel confident about the privacy issues, we don't want to do this, we don't feel comfortable doing this, then at least then you've taken a stance and we've you've started a... a I suppose the worst case, you've got an audit trail that says you did actually take a stance against this. Oh, the audit trail I like, absolutely. 
That yeah, okay, some can yeah. say book covering or where you're covering your backs, but you know, yeah. if you're saying that the organization no, it's not isn't, about, but it's about if you get audited, then you actually have something. Uh, but you also feel more comfortable about yourself because that's when, when I talk about these things. It's about, I mean, if you do understand the risks, you're also at risk of burnout if you constantly have to do something that goes against your values. Yeah. And and having having so that kind of important to be able to raise your voice exactly raising your voice and having some mm. having done that visibly means that there's a mm. I suppose a larger chance that it will be mm. at least on a on a sufficient level be understood higher up so maybe there'll be action taken or it'll be somebody will connect two things together and something will be do about it given the yeah, huge exactly. gap as Heather points out between yeah. educated professional bodies outside of our world that means that they're not going to understand how it is to be in our world. I think, yeah, finding your allies is really important there because if you find your allies, if you speak up, then other people will understand that you also care about the things that they understand, care about. And so all of a sudden you have an ally, you can start talking, and that's when you actually can uh, start, as you're saying, to create change within the organization mm-hmm. if it's not already there. Yeah. Well, Heather um, Burns is Web Dev Law. One word there, of course, on Twitter. Um, and you can find her website uh, at webdevlav.uk. Oh, law. That's supposed to be webdevlaw. Have That's you written your notes? Right? I mean, pa- I thought that was a bit weird. I thought it was a bit yeah. strange that Heather would not manage to get the right demand. <laughs> webdevlaw.uk. Yeah. Is it not co-uk? No, it actually is not UK. Ah. I, that I checked. Yeah, no, they've. It's, uh, it's been possible for a few years it, now. It, if you have the co.uk address, you get the UK address. Yes, I. I did yeah. actually know that when I think about it. And she was our guest on episode 177 when we talked about GDPR. <laughs> Article 2 is um, the design systems between us. This is written by um, Ethan McCott, who is. Um, he's been our guest before as well, just like Heather. And I, I stumbled upon this article, um, indirectly. Um, it was linked from another article I was reading. Um, and what Arthur, what Ethan is talking about here in the article is, um, I suppose what the expectations we had for design systems, and how they haven't perhaps delivered in the way we thought. I can read um, a little bit um, from the article here. In my experience, design systems haven't brought um, this kind of rich cross-functional collaboration to most organisations. Instead, existing divisions between design and implementation has become entrenched, and massively so. This siloing isn't because of design systems, not really, um, but because um, of a few factors that have um, contributed to the current state of things, which Ethan then goes on to, to list. Um, I'll quickly just read the headlines of the three so that it gives you a bit of a flavour. Mm. Um, um, he says, um, a matter of limited resources, a matter of front-end complexity, and a matter of com- um, collaborative costs. So uh, to, to, to recap a little bit now about what he means by this with design systems. We, we, we've, we're starting to all be familiar with design systems. Um, ready components, things that have um, already been um, thought through, made independent of the maybe the, the product or the application area that you can just pull, pull in and use and run and go with. 
Um, and with descriptions of the context of use and uh, varieties in different contexts. Yeah, and, stuff like and that well. of course, you know, some things, the way, the way that we build um, components now using some of these platforms like Vue and so on, then they would have various um, attributes you can alter and change. So there'd be the the component itself would have a lot of some logic built in to respond to different states, different situations. Um, mm -hmm. So each component is a little bit of a box that you can tweak and 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 turn and use. Um, and it's you know when you get up to a certain level of maturity or size or whatever, then everyone's dealing with design systems nowadays. Um, and Airbnb is um, one such organisation that's been doing design systems um, since really early on. Um, they they were publishing um, and talking about things back in 2016 to do with design systems, if not slightly earlier, um, and their experiences with growing and developing while using um, um, a design system. And um, it, we, early days, we did think about it as, as a collaborative tool. It would kind of help us work quicker and better um, with not just developers, but also with multiple products. Um, and what Airbnb saw, even back in 2016, which Ethan actually mentions, uh, he does a quote from it, um, they they were reflecting 2016 back on the um, lack of improvement in collaboration between designers and engineers that they had expected from a design system. Mm -hmm. They In their blog post they wrote, the gap between designers and engineers has only increased. Design teams can often struggle to reach um, a, a, a cadence that balances the creative process with the cycles of continuous innovation. Quality suffers, the experience becomes less cohesive, talented people spend an inordinate amount of time simply managing communication across disciplines. Um, and Airbnb then went on to build a collaboration tool to get to bridge that gap. <laughs> um, <laughs> which was because That's the thing, isn't it? Because it's, if you're after the collaboration building a tool uh, that is actually serving as a barrier to that communication, the tool really has to do its job well. Mm. Uh, because what I was realizing when I was reading it is that he had one, uh, uh, one part where he actually mentioned that w with this collaboration tool that Airbnb applied, uh, designers were now, uh, designers and engineers were now effectively sitting side by side. Uh, and that was interesting to me because why do we need tools like that to sit side by side? Because that, from my projects and my experience working in hugely different projects of different sizes, each time I've been able to sit next to a developer, that is what makes the difference. Not the tool we're using, but the actual physical thing of sitting together, looking at the same screen, pointing at stuff and working together. Mm. That is the collaboration. Mm. The tool is not the collaboration, but it couldn't be an enabler absolutely but it, it i mean the most important thing is sitting down together because the, the developer will have his or her favorite tools mm. but now though you've when you've got design system in, included in that then the design system itself is is basically a tool or it's, it's a it's another part of the front-end complexity which ethan mm. mentions that um you know and I, you come across this quite a bit that you even if you've got design systems that that little component unit, yes, it's got a it's got a visual aspect to it and and uh, interaction aspect to it, but then it's probably built in a certain um, ecosystem. It might be mm. built on view or something else, um, 
or okay, it's going to be still CSS and HTML at the end of it, but it, there's a certain flavor to it. So when when the there's an added level of there's an added barrier there to wanting something to change. So the dialogue and the communication with your team is maybe different because you've got the design system there as well, which I think we think is a healthy thing that you you've not got to start things from scratch. You actually but you're you have an expectancy of the developers to understand the design system before actually yes. talking to them about it. Yes. So basically, mm -hmm. um, if you want to, well, I'd like to do this. No, but the 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 component doesn't do that. Well, mm. why can't we make it do that? Because then mm. we wouldn't be using the component from the design system. Well, why can't we? So there's there's so much about the understand. You have to understand. It feels like you need to understand the underlying technology to be able to understand why something is like it is. So you're back to and that. And you also need to understand the underlying task to understand why the developer wants mm. to do it differently, which may be what you actually want to do in the end. You may want to do it differently because they figured out something that was better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's, a, it's 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 still collaboration, uh, but a different. It's exactly. a different way of. Um, it's a different angle to it. Um, mm. And collaborative costs, which um, Ethan mentions as well, uh, you don't have mm. an uh, unending resource, you know, unlimited resources. Um, mm. So but the mistake is not the mistake is not building the design system. The mistake is not collaborating with the design system as your aid, but instead expecting people to look at the design system and understand it out of context. Uh, but it is when talking about it together, mm. that's when the magic happens. Mm. And I think he has he makes one point about it's the work that you put into making the design system. That is what matters as well. And I, I've actually been working on a design system <laughs> during the spring and, and, and um, the, having developers doing it together with us, that is one is what is going to help us make it successful because the, one of them said early on, I'm not going to look at the design system. I'm going to download the CSS from one of the other uh, satellite sites and use that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he actually mentioned, say, he goes, um, um, we're inclined to think um, of a design system as distinct from an organization's broader structure. Yeah, which isn't the case. More often than not, your design system becomes a mirror of the way your team already works. So I think that's definitely something that is underestimated that you, especially if you're not the team that developed the design system. You know, when you're starting to apply design systems to more and more areas or applications and so on, websites, um, then there you have the, 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 the truth that you might need to work in a completely different way when you adopt it because you're not the one that originally created or controlled it. So mm. from a developer point of view, that might be tough. From a designer point of view, it might be equally as tough. Mm. And again, uh, working with a design system, probably not taught in school. It's probably not what developers have learned uh, as they learn to code. So it's something completely different. So uh, the expectancy of them to be able to use it off the bat is uh, not fair. So that you actually have to allow for a, a period of learning uh, when introducing someone to a design system. Hmm. The expectancy there that I often see is that, oh, oh, by the way, over here is our design system, so just use that. Uh, that's totally unfair. Yeah. Uh, it's not not the way to go with that. No, it's 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 hmm. kind of in some ways like having a new team member. Um, hmm. You know, and they say that when you bring a new team yes. member on board, you effectively start from scratch. You have to establish kind of like new shared values, new principles, new ways of working, all the rest of it. And your design system is is like that extra team member who you have to understand how they work, how they, you know, what they need and how they can be incorporated and what you need to change to, hmm. you know, what your new togetherness is. It made me, one thing that um, this whole article made me think about and reflecting on design systems 
was another thing that I've stumbled upon recently is the talk of um, developer experience. Right. Um, you know, we hear this regularly. There be there's a new something X that comes up. I mean, we've, I, and I'm being a bit kind of facetious and mocking the kind of whole thing, but you know, there, there, there's always a new X, um, where it's, you know, user experience, customer experience, um, you know, um, well, developer experience. Um, but what it, what it's talking about, the developer experience thing is that we have a lot of things that are not necessarily what we first perceive as, 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 um, Oh, a user necessarily, I suppose, or even mm. um, an interface, um, and that these things uh, might be experienced and used, and need to be thought about and designed. Um, yeah. So, example there would be maybe an API. Um, so, you're, if you're a developer, you're expected to use a certain interface, an application interface. Then, using that application interface is an ex- you have an experience while doing it, and that experience can be terrible. It can be good. And it can be designed, mm. and this is where I think what Ethan saying made me th- maybe think about the overlap there with the whole understanding of um, developer experience, um, yeah. and even designer experience to a degree. That you know we're all we're all users of things, and it, it reminds me of of um, when we've talked about previously about you set up the the rules of how you're going to work together early on. You try to understand, so here are my deliverables as a designer. How would you like them as a developer? Mm-hmm. What would work best for you? Uh, so it's, again, back to collaboration, the way I see it. Uh, but I, I absolutely agree. It's also about the tools and understanding what tools the design, the developers are using, Yeah. Uh, which also reminds me of when I'm working with healthcare, how, how the focus is always on the patients and the patient experience, <laughs> PX, I don't know. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and we tend to forget about, well, it's what about the healthcare providers? Yes. The nurses, the doctors, their interface has to be just as good because if they their interface isn't just as good, they won't be able to provide the best possible healthcare to the patients. Yeah. And it's the same for developers. If their systems that they're using to build uh, the systems for the users, the experience won't be good. Yeah, I mean, I had a I had a, a API that was working on yeah. recently, and uh, basically we had a, a, a feature of this API which um, wasn't really completely documented, I'd say. And mm-hmm. the developers then, when it was set loose on them, were having to just experiment to see what worked and what didn't work. And this resulted in the the support. Um, so the ops team um, kind of getting frantically in touch with us to say, well, you you know, you've, you must have built this really, really wrong because it's kind of bringing the whole system down. So, oh, because basically we hadn't um, we hadn't told that we hadn't implemented a rate limit on a certain aspect of it because mm. we didn't we didn't think it would ever be used like that because <laughs> mm. no one bothered to actually ask the developers how they would want to use it. They just presumed, yeah. which was a classic kind of user research thing. But you know, you'd 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 based the based what they'd made available in the API based on what they'd built previously with the the product, whereas the API opens a door to to making new things. So then you'd have to do new new research to understand what's kind of going to be made with that. Um, so it, it's it's interesting to overlook some of these experiences, um, which aren't maybe the first ones you think of. Right, but even even listening to you describe that example, I mean, it reminds me of how valuable it is to both you and you and me, uh, just understanding 
development. This is, I mean, back to the, the old uh, argument about should designers code. Mm. Well, if you understand code, wow, that makes your job a lot easier. I mean, we, we learn code in the same way that Heather describes in her article by right-clicking and looking at the code, uh, how other people have done it. Uh, but just understanding that way of coding has helped us understand the challenges and the risks of developers' experience uh, oh, getting it wrong. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That you're right. That that by being able to, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Going back to the privacy example, you're right. That we perhaps have a better understanding of of language of the mm. phrases used. Like I I threw in the conversation there, um, API. And then even hit rate, I think, or yeah, some, exactly. I, I, some some I've I've thrown in a few phrases to do with APIs, mm. which um, and all, you, all UXers even know what an API is. I'm, I'm assuming, uh, yeah, or, or I know, <laughs> I, I guess so. But then yeah. again, we're making presumptions about research, and that is mm. part of the whole thing, there, isn't it? Mm. God, we've now I've, I've yeah. kind of wandered off a little bit from um, design systems and Ethan's original point, but. Um, but going back to the whole collaboration, the, the expectation of so much in what we do is going to improve collaboration, is going to improve things. And and yet, um, many times, we actually just create, we just change, we shuffle things around, I suppose, that a design system doesn't, rem just changes how we collaborate, doesn't remove the need for collaboration. Exactly. That's a really good point. Ethan Marcotte is uh, Beep on Twitter. And his website is ethanmarcott.com. And he was our guest in episode 95 back in 2015 when we, of course, talked about responsive web design. And recommended listening. We pulled out episode 163, which was when we talked about design systems with um, Gina Ann. That was exactly three years ago. Now, when you say exactly, what does that mean? <laughs> Exactly three years. You, because you, I see you, you wrote it in you wrote it in the show notes here, so I had to ask well, why what is it, it exactly is, is it on the day? Yeah. Well no, pretty much. Um it was episode hundred and sixty three came out in on July the twenty first, twenty seventeen. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, we're we're pretty yeah. much we're four days out. Um, but, but I love this. I mean, this is a great example of we're talking now today about how, what has what have design systems done for us. And we actually have the episode you can listen to three years ago when we talked to Gina Ann about what do we expect from design systems? How do we build them in the right way? And you can compare notes. And you can probably see how much me and you have forgotten about our conversation with Gina Ann. Exactly. <laughs> Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Okay, there are two kinds of lawyers. <laughs> okay, James. What two kinds of lawyers are there? Well, there's those that know the law and those that know the judge.